We are delighted to announce Borough Nature Sanctuary is coming out of the COVID-19 lockdown as per government advice on July the 1st. We are currently working on our social distancing procedures and visitors will find quite a few changes. There will be a socially distanced queue at admissions and perspex safety screens at the counters and a one-way system operating at the site. There'll be sanitizing stations in various areas and a twice daily full sanitation of the internal building. We're not allowed to run animal handling sessions, but we'll have animal feeding stations set up around the nature walk. We will be operating a reduced menu, but don't worry, our famous Tom Tom coffee will still be available. We'll be using compostable takeaway cups to avoid staff handling crockery. We're working on our procedures to keep our staff and customers safe and may have to adjust things as we go when we see how it all works. We have bookable guided fairy family walks and wildflower walks on our website for family groups of up to 10 people. Our biodiversity audio guide is on our free app, so you can take a self-guided tour too. The wild orchids are out and our collection of barren flora is at its peak. It was sad shutting our doors on March the 7th, and it is a very difficult process to unlock them on July the 1st. A silver lining from this pandemic was the Nature Magic podcast, which has been so rewarding. It was great timing to reach out to people to talk to as they were all captive at home and nearly everyone was free for half an hour Zoom chat. We will be continuing the podcast but may move to fortnightly episodes over the summer. From the podcast, a book is sprouting, Nature Magic, The Fairy Pig Walk and other five-star strategies to engage people with nature. Podcast guests have been asked if we can include some of their answers as quotes, as we think there's such a lot of useful and fun information here. We still welcome any support for our conservation projects and urge you to visit our online shop, which has lovely gifts and even animal adoptions. We're a small business and we'll be trying to hang on by the skin of our teeth until summer 2021, when hopefully tourists will return. We have recently heard that sadly the famous Dungora Castle in the village will not be reopening due to COVID-19 and many small businesses will not open their doors again. We wish everyone well and thank you for listening to us. Let's work together towards a happier, healthier planet. If I had a magic wand that worked, Mary, I think I would get rid of plastic and pesticides. Today, I'm speaking to Dr. Catherine Farrell. Catherine is an ecologist specializing in restoration ecology and how to revive degraded natural systems. She has worked on wetland and woodland systems across Ireland and internationally, with a particular focus on how to bring industrially used peatlands back to life. She is currently working as a research fellow in Trinity College Dublin, with her attention now fixed on how to develop natural capital accounting. Catherine is a founding member of the Irish Forum on Natural Capital and works with businesses and nature agencies to bring the role of nature into broader discussions around ecosystem health, ecosystem services, natural capital and natural capital accounting and sustainable environments. She is also a published author and likes to dabble in the arts under her married name of Catherine Wilkie. Her novel, The Easter Snow, was published and launched in May 2019. Welcome to one of Ireland's greatest advocates for nature, Catherine Farrell. Hi Catherine, it's lovely to speak to you today. 
Well, today I am in sunny Tullamore uh, in the Midlands of Ireland. And I This is my base now for the last 15 or so years. And I am sitting in what I call now my cave, which is my office since lockdown. And I've been working from home and uh, juggling having two small children in the house at the same time. So um, it's been interesting. Yeah. Well done. Well done. That is hard. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what your role is? Well, I suppose I have... I have done many things in my career and presently I'm working um, as a postdoctoral researcher in Trinity College Dublin. Uh, I'm working on a project called INCASE, it's Irish Natural Capital Accounting for Sustainable Environments. It's an absolute mouthful, so we'll just say INCASE. <laughs> And uh, it's somewhat pioneering in that it's trying to figure out how we might um, basically be more accountable for what we do with nature. So it's it's developing accounts for our natural capital. Uh, our natural capital is our stocks of woodlands, um, grasslands, you know, the, the different ecosystems, geosystems that we have, and being more aware of how we're using up the stocks and recognizing that you know the flows of services that we get we, we have to make sure that we can sustain those into the future so you know it's really interesting I'm I'm, I'm really enjoying it it's a big change uh, for me uh, given that I spent oh wow I spent over 20 years before working on on bogs and specifically very, very, very tired, very used bogs that needed some tender love and care. And I, I worked with Bordemona uh, in the Midlands and in the West, uh, rehabilitating peatlands. So when when peatlands have been used for industrial purposes, you know they can come back to wet wetlands or woodlands or you know other habitats. So it was sort of getting creative with habitat restoration and obviously minding the bits that were were very intact that we needed to restore and bring back to a bog ecosystem. So I yeah, I I I guess I've I've had a few different hats. I um I've also tinkered in music and in the arts and in writing as well. So I I suppose I'm the in-case project sounds amazing. I suppose the first thing you have to do is count up what we have. That's, you know, to make it in very simple um, sort of way. Yeah. And see what we have and then decide, you know, what how we mind it and what we do with it. It makes sense, doesn't it? Even the way you've described it there, because we don't do that. You know, we, we do... Um, designations reasonably well like we can draw lines on maps and say well we, we shouldn't go in there and we need to look after that but you know nature is everywhere mm. so within farming systems it's within you know public lands it's you know otters and badgers and hedges hedgerows you know they, they just their nature corridors and species move along them so uh, I think it's just about recognizing the hidden wealth that's there mm. for us and that it doesn't come into the books um traditionally 
And we're very good at saying how much money we have and how much money we've, we've spent, uh, but it's not reflected in the quality of the environment that we have. And, you know, these are the hidden costs of some of the food that we eat or, you know, the, the things that we produce. And exactly. it's really about getting that onto, onto the radar. Mm. So until, we until we know what we have, we can't see what we've lost or gained, hopefully. As, as you keep going with this. Exactly. So accounting is fantastic uh, from that perspective. You look at the books, you, you say, well, I have this much this year. It's in this condition, which means it's working well. Uh, this other stuff over there, that's not working very well. So we better go and look after that. And, you know, so it's about putting the resources in the right places. Mm, fantastic. And, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll talk about the bogs as well, but how did you become a nature lover? Do you remember where it all started? I was hooked from an early age, I have to say. I grew up in a small farm in Westmeath, in South Westmeath, and it was a dairy farm. Of course, it, it started out as a mixed farm, and I suppose over the course of my lifetime, I've watched how, you know, that change in the Irish landscape went from sort of rural you know, very mixed farming to very intensive over a very short period of time. And I saw that and I I worked to develop that on the farm because I spent uh, most of my childhood picking stones, which, you know, a lot of Irish uh, kids that grew up on farms did, <laughs> to reclaim the land. And I guess I just love being outdoors. And I suppose both my parents had a, a, a good, strong respect for nature. Um, my mother was always outside gardening. You know, she hated housework and we'd be left to do that. And then my dad, you know, he just loved the wildlife. You know, he'd always be, you know, checking out, you know, where the fox was and, you know, telling you what flowers or what grasses were there. And so he knew, like they grew up in a sort of idyllic time that was very poor. Mm. Your grandparents lived in the same house. Oh yeah, the same farm. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, my parents, um, went to the same national school, and you know, then our our family home was just a couple of miles from where they were born and grew up, and so it was a very local, um, very idyllic. You know, we we brought in the hay, and um, I spent most of my childhood milking cows and. You know, so, but also I could recognize, you know, I started to explore, you know, the esker that ran along the, the, the bottoms of the farm. Do you know that every farm has its, the bottoms, you know, it's the furthest bit from the house or the road. And we had a beautiful esker there. And I used to go there and just really really noticed the orchids and the grasses and the rushes, the wood rushes, and then a beautiful hazel woodland um, with yew trees. And I just loved being there. And it was so different from the, you know, the improved grassland side where we'd spent all our years picking stones and mowing out the hedgerows and the beautiful hawthorns that used to be on the farm. Um, so I could see that difference uh, and the difference in in terms of diversity and just 
just such a beautiful space to be in where you hear bird song and mm-hmm. I suppose um that's where I got my love for nature and then I I knew I wanted to work with nature so I decided I wanted to be a zoologist and my <laughs> guidance counselor at the time said why don't you go and be a doctor? Because then you can save all the people who are being zoologists and all this. Because I wanted to go to, off to Africa and save the elephants. And, you know, it's weird, that line of thinking. But anyway, I stuck with it. And I loved uh, biology, geography and physics. And I loved uh, the whole philosophy of it. You know, I, I loved the, the writing side and exploring the ideas of how we're all connected and that sort of thing. And so, so I, I studied zoology and botany in UCD and I, yeah, that was fantastic because going from rural Ireland and then, you know, your, your teaching is about the different habitats that you didn't encounter so often at home and, you know, the bogs and, you know, the coastal habitats, the marine, we had a fantastic teacher. Uh, Brenda Healy in UCD and she was so passionate about the marine and the coastal habitats and then of course uh, the fun uh, the first field trip when we went to the Burren uh, in third year that was just amazing I just I could not get over the little gems uh, you know the small things and been shown them by you know the experts and you know, we great, um, you know, postgraduate uh, demonstrators who who now I know I've worked with since and they live in the barn, some of them. I, I know you know some of them. And we just, things like mountain everlasting, beautiful little ferns and grasses. So I just, after that field season, I just, if I was hooked before, I just knew my career path was, I want to work in these landscapes or I need to do something. That's my uh, reason for being here. And then when I finished my undergraduate, uh, a a PhD was advertised uh, to to work on restoration of industrial bogs in Mayo. And I just thought restoration ecology and that was me I was gone and then of course it was Mayo and <laughs> Mayo was just so exotic to me and um thus began my love affair with Mayo and and the bogs boggy yeah do you, do you have a favorite plant or animal oh no I'm desperate because if you ask me whatever habitat I'm in I will decide that is my favorite plant or animal but so even this morning, I, I went for my walk on the Grand Canal and the swallows were swooping down on the water. And, you know, it's, uh, it's often the most common local things that I just, I just love and I adore. But if I was to pick something out, it would be wetland birds. I, I just, that, that collective of curlew, skylarks, lapwing, the curlew cry is so evocative. And, you know, though we see and hear them a lot in the wintertime along coasts or, you know, where they flock, they, they quite a lot of numbers come to the Lockwood Parklands, which is quite near where I live. And they're just, they're really pinched uh, in terms of their breeding uh, success. And then 
Yeah. So when you see them or you hear them during the summer, you know you're near a healthy bog. So that's a really good indicator. Now, obviously, bogs are one of your top habitats. Would you say that? Or would you yeah. just love all the different habitats? But there's something about an open bog, and I suppose it goes back to when my first field season. So when I was doing my research, I, I was on my own all the time, and I was heading out into Atlantic Blanket Bog on the West Coast. Not no one inside for miles. You could see for miles, and just that that sky reflected in the bog pools and the bog lakes the skylarks around you and the breeze. Now, I would never go out when there was no breeze because that was when the midges were going to get you. Uh, but just that, they're, they're just splendid and profound and, you know, so poor as well because always view, viewed as the sort of poor relation in terms of, of land and you know what it can give to you and always seen as something to be used and trod on and drained and I just um I suppose there's a bit of the underdog there you know that you want to fight for the underdog to make sure that they're put on top but there's there's such interesting places and wetlands in general anything that's a wetland is 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 doing so much for us so much work for us in terms of Eamon de Butler always said the wetlands are the kidneys of of the earth and he was passionate about them and I think you know even meeting these people and working with them in some way little bits rub off on you and you know they're just fantastic places yeah I love that the kidneys of the earth I haven't heard that before um yeah I I had a very intimate encounter with a bog drain years ago when I was 20 <laughs> so we were with a group of horses going across the bog and my horse was a, a young gray horse he was pretty much white a very light roan anyway he shied at something and he just cat jumped sideways and we went down into a bog drain the two of us submerged completely so anyway yeah. I managed to get off him and pull him out everyone helped me pull him out and then the person that owned the horse came trotting up to me and said where did you get that horse because he was completely black. Oh my gosh. Oh, the poor fellow. Your horse. Oh my he gosh. You were lucky. Yeah, yeah, he was fine. Um, but yeah, bogs. So, I mean, how do you see a future for small scale turf cutting or how are we going to manage that whole very difficult and multi issue? Is there a way? Yeah, there's always a way. And I think it's just season by season, um, we figure out more how to embrace renewable technology. And, you know, I really, I really see, you know, most of the people on the road that I live, they, they bring in their own turf. So it's very much deeply ingrained in uh, Irish culture and especially rural rural culture and I but I do think that over time and with awareness about its impact on the climate its impact on on the actual habitat itself which can be reversed you know so you know even though we say a bog is cut away you can always do something with that you know to get it back working again to get the system fired up and re-wet the peat and get the sphagnum growing 
but it's slow. It's a slow process. And there's been so much debate around it. I, I, I try and stay away from the debate because until there's a policy shift and the government really gets behind and starts supporting retrofitting homes and, you know, just really doing the hard work. And, and then some people would just like to be on the bog and at a certain point, the people will decide, well, I'm not bending down for like three days to turn this turf, but it's cheap fuel. It's cheap fuel when you put all the work in yourself. So there has to be supports for people to switch over. And people, I don't think people necessarily, you know, they definitely don't go out to intentionally harm the land or, you know, harm the planet. But, you know, so there's a job around raising awareness um, about the impacts. Yeah, people have a sentimental memories of childhood and going to the bog and even though they hated it it was such hard work and turning the turf and bringing it in but they like to bring their children now because it brings you back to actually doing manual labor um but i think if there was more awareness and maybe people would go to the bog for the nature if you could give them an you know an alternative that we you know we don't need to go to the bog to cut all the turf and turn it and stack it and all of this oh no no um, we um go and look at the heathers and yeah and we go to the bog all the time I bring my um uh my children and my husband who didn't have a pair of wellies before I met him <laughs> so uh we go to the bog and like Alana now she can't wait to go to the bog because we're going to see the butterflies and we bring the nets and we check out the birds and she's she sees a different side of it you know, and, and sometimes we see turf and it's like, what's that? I say, well, that's just turf, you know, let's move on and find more butterflies, <laughs> you know. So it's um it's all about what what you think is right. So it's all down to our perceptions and it goes back to, you know, I mentioned I was always interested in the natural sciences, but it's how we perceive it and how our traditions and our philosophies, you know, so that's a big part of how we view nature. Is it something to be dominated and controlled or, you know, in other philosophies and traditions, it's more about being part of nature and being part of that great web of life. So I think there, we have to consider that view as well and change not that we have to change our way of thinking but explore different ways of thinking about nature Mm. i think people are fearful of losing the traditions and the culture but if they were offered a different viewpoint they can exchange it for that rather than just saying oh we're losing this this culture yeah yeah that is a tricky one as i said to Jane when we were talking about content mm. talk about the bogs but we have to tread softly <laughs> because it's oh a, yeah you know. yeah um so the next question is do you feel spiritually connected to nature I know when you were a child you definitely felt it down in the Esca on the farm and where would you feel it these days or have you had any experiences you'd like to talk about oh gosh uh well every day I I go out into the Charleville woods which is beside us and um yeah I have to I have to reconnect with it I have to get out into the woods and sort of immerse myself into into that uh, just to reset myself 
so there's that sense of peace and yeah as I say when I when I started my research and I spent those long days out on the bogs you know you'd be out from very early going back you know I was staying in Ballina uh, in a house of my own and it's just that sense of being part of something bigger than ourselves and you know feeling part of it, not feeling disconnected from it, uh, that we're part, we're, we're born of nature and then we're in it. So, so a lot of people say, well, you know, we're, isn't nature amazing? But, you know, aren't we amazing? Because we're a product of this natural world. Uh, nature has created us. And so just, just yeah, I think I, I try and bring it in to every, every day, just to get that sense of peace and stillness uh, that reminds you why why I'm even trying to account for nature, why I'm trying <laughs> to bring it on the books, because I love it. I think it's fantastic. It's, it's everything. It's everything for us. And we're very much a product of it. We shouldn't be chastising ourselves all the time and being so negative. We should say, yeah, come on, we're part of this and we can, we can make a difference and, you know, we're not separate from it. Mm. So yeah, we're, healthy. we're healthy. Yeah, we're a facet of nature. I think if people can look at it that way. But I'm so glad it recharges you and gets you back to the books so you could do all the accounting for everybody because it's an important job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, you know. There was a lot of research done recently on forest bathing and they the trees emit, I'm not sure what, I can't remember, but I'll put the link in the show notes. and. Apparently all you need is 20 minutes and that'll do you for a month to get the health benefits. So if you can only get out into the forest for 20 minutes a month, try and do it. Oh yeah. And do you know what? Fresh air. I, I reckon if they did the same study now and said, if you can walk down a country lane and see wildflowers. And, and even now, if you go out, anywhere now of an evening or in the morning, the honeysuckle is just overwhelmingly beautiful. I just it turned my head this morning. I was like, where's that coming from? You know, so it's, it's, there's so many benefits. And just walk down the street. And I think people learn that uh, during this COVID time that, you know, explore the hedgerows and the back ways and the back lanes and just even if you're in the town, you know, the what's growing on the walls and, you know, there's, there's stuff flying in the sky at the same time. So, yeah, the forests, so uh, they're pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody can connect. Even if you're in prison, you can look at the clouds unless you're in solitary confinement. But, I mean, that's one thing. Yeah. Well, we we're, we're, they didn't put us there yet. No. <laughs> Um, can you suggest a positive action that people could take um, to encourage people to do to help nature? Oh, there's so many things. Um, if you wanted sort of, you know, a quick win, just look outside in your own garden. Okay. And I think, um, what can I do? And you can go online, you can figure things out, but just spend time and just watch and notice nature. So what I have found is that what you see and what you get to know, you begin to value more, you know, so that changes your value system. 
Whereas if you don't see it, you don't know it. So how can you even bring it into the picture? Mm. And then, of course, if somebody says, well, we have to think about this, then, you know, if you don't understand it, you feel threatened. So my tuppence would be just just get out and, and take five minutes and and see what bees are buzzing around or what butterflies like this is the perfect time of the year Um, see what's, what's flying in the sky. But yeah, so notice nature and yeah. like there's, there's the other side of it, you know, which is be aware that, you know, everything you do has an impact, you know, so that's the local piece. But just bear in mind, you know, the, the food we eat, you know, the clothes you buy, the stuff you have in your homes. You know, this is where we get into that globalization and that, you know, what we have, it's so cheap. Your food is cheaper now than ever it was because it doesn't take into account the true cost of, of what it took to get it there. You know, you can buy three garlics uh, from China for less than a euro. It's, it's insane. You know, or wh- where is the actual true cost of the impact on the climate? Or, you know, if you're, if you're in a very intensively managed system and, you know, you get a cheap meat or cheap vegetable, or whatever, like, is that really reflecting the cost? So we all need to ask those questions and I know people go oh that's so boring and you're such a killjoy and you know I want to have my asparagus from Peru and all these sorts of things just no just think about it because there's really good stuff produced locally Mm, there's so much good stuff and it tastes so good if you've ever grown your own stuff in the garden your own potatoes it's like heaven Mm, mm, so that's it's really back to the accounting isn't it um, you know, to taking account and yeah, taking stock and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, the cheap meal, people don't really, they think about the, the Amazon and the fires and everything, but the cheap meal coming in to feed our cattle, a lot of it's coming yeah. from there. And, you know, oh, it's great. I can buy a bag of cow nuts for a seven euros. How could that be possible? You know, yeah. <laughs> that is too yeah. cheap. Uh, the other thing you were saying about going outside and noticing what's there. I mean, there's been there's been a gorilla botanist in Kinvara marking up plants on the sidewalk or on the pavement. Um, but I think if you can take a guidebook with you, yeah, just to see because once you know something's name, and we label the herbs here, and we've even labelled dock and nettles and mm. you know simple things. Once people know a plant's name, it's more of an introduction. And then you say, oh, yes, the next time you see it, that's, that's the nettle or whatever. So I think labeling, yeah. labeling is a good way to engage people. Um, did you have any other thoughts on engaging people with nature, kind of activities, maybe for groups or something like that? Oh, you know, you can't be being with someone who knows what they're talking about. A guided walk. Yeah. I've, I have learned so much from being with you know, other ecologists, um, botanists, zoologists, bat experts, you go out and you just see, you learn so much in the space of 10 minutes. And, you know, there's people like um, living legends like John Feehan, you know, he has developed this set of videos and um, over the summer and they're available on the Offaly Heritage 
you go to the Offaly Heritage uh, Facebook page, you'll find them. And it's like those videos are like five minutes, but they pack in so much knowledge and information. And he's so personable and he's he's just he makes it so accessible. Um, so I think getting out with your local, even if it's your local amateur uh, ecologist and they're, you're going for a walk in the bog, uh, taking the time to do that and then they catch the pond dipping, put the, the, the net in the pond and they get the pond skaters and then suddenly something else comes in and it's totally unchoreographed. Like, because you can't tell what's going to appear on any given day. And uh, yeah, like I said, I remember doing the dawn course uh, with Ricky Whelan uh, from Birdwatch Ireland a couple of years ago. And I learned so much. Like I was supposed to be there as an expert and <laughs> as someone who knew. And we had Snipe and we had Woodcock and we had just, he just knew every sound that was played it might only last for five seconds. And I just, I wanted to just wrap it all up and bring it home and play it back. And I suppose that's the other side that the, the videos and resources that are online now, and there are amazing apps, you know, to, to bring out with you. you know, yeah, that's fine. Do that, but do go on those nature walks when you see them advertised or when they're locally available, because that's the stuff in your hedgerow or that's the stuff in your woods. And that's how you're going to connect with it. You're going to, a friend of mine, when we, I, I ended up, um, you know, going and being the demonstrator on these burn uh, field trips when I became a postgrad. And a friend of mine said to me that every time she meets a new plant, she says, I, that's a new friend. I'm meeting a new friend. It's a new acquaintance. And I just thought you could look at that and say, that's totally hippy dippy. Oh my God. But it's, it's so true because then you see it again and it's like, oh, it looks different there. Well, it's a bit brighter. It's a bit darker. And then even my daughter is asking me hard questions. Well, why is that one a bit more pink? You know, the little mountain everlasting we found it here uh, near home and you know, why is that one a bit pink in the center? And, you know, why why is that sunju really small and that one over there is really big? So it's it's just recognizing that they all they're all different, just as each human is different and every cow in the field is different. It's just they all have their own personality in a way. And yeah, you could say I'm a total hippie, but I'm okay with that, you know. That's absolutely fine. I think that's really good advice, actually, just get your local um, nature person. Gordon Darcy around here does a fabulous Dawn Chorus um, walk. Oh, and my I friend, can imagine. Yeah, I haven't been on it, but my friend was telling me, so they all met in Ballyvaughan and it was dark and they were going along the road waiting for the sun to come up and, and Gordon was like, shh, shh, I think I hear a blackbird. Um, everybody come over here. So about 30 people with binoculars were looking through this hedge. And then the light went <laughs> off. And the lady walked out of her shower in the, <gasps> on the, on the top floor. And she looked into the garden and there were 30 people with binoculars <laughs> in the garden in the middle of nowhere. So anyway, that's a funny story. <laughs> yeah, that's just one of the um, side effects <laughs> of um, noticing nature. <laughs> yeah, but... So what, um, do you have any favourite or inspiring nature books you'd like to 
um, tell people about recommend? Yeah, I um, gosh, there's there's some great ones like and you, they've probably been flagged before, but the likes of James Lovelock's um, book on Gaia theory and Fritjof Capra has a really good um, sort of just just brings together a lot of the information about systems and it's called the web of life. I found that very, um, very inspiring in, in terms of just connecting the dots between all the different components of nature. Um, of course, my friend Paddy Woodward um, launched a book a few years ago called Our Once and Future Planet. And he writes so well, you know, between Paddy and Michael Viney, uh, in the Irish Times, just really beautiful writing, and weaves the human story into the restoration projects that Paddy writes about. Um, so I was lucky enough that uh, Paddy featured some of my own work in that as well. Um, Lovely. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your book and some of your writing? Yeah, well, I suppose I've always... Uh, been writing and interested in how words weave together to be so powerful and uh, yeah so I started off uh, with just you know the usual uh, book poetry and writing bits and pieces and then I it morphed into music so I was a, I was a rock star for a while and uh, just a very local rock star in Banana and then I took that to the next level um yeah when i when i when i moved back up to the midlands and we bought this this house it was just an inspiring place and a beautiful kitchen table an old wooden table and i just started to write the story and it's called the easter snow and over the course of a, of a few years um I pulled it together while, you know, having two small children at the same time. So maternity leave was great for that. And it's it's called the Easter Snow. Uh, it's set in the Midlands. And it's not a sort of apocalyptic climate change book, you know, which there's always going to snow at Easter time. It's more about um, that connection with our home place and with the land that we were brought up in. and. I suppose there's, there's a central character who's forced to leave her home in, in the 1950s. And then when she comes back and how it has changed and how she sort of feels coming back to the home place and, and reconnecting with those roots and, and family. And But when I was writing it, I, I walk every day in Charleville Woods. So that was really coming into the writing and each section and chapter is broken up by whatever flower is in bloom so it begins with snowdrops and sort of begins at the sort of start of February and moves into September and so we move from snowdrops into daffodils and bluebells and um, yeah I just I really enjoyed writing it uh, we, we launched it last May so it's been out and about and yeah, it's written under my married name. So I have two personalities, really, Mary. I have this sort of, you know, person over here who can write fiction and novel. And then this other person who's, you know, the accountant person. So I enjoyed writing it. And I've really enjoyed hearing back what people uh, feel about it. And, you know, it's back to that 
um, it's back to that whole how you connect with nature. And for me, you know, the poets and the writers and, you know, creating that picture, Seamus Heaney's poetry, you know, that the reflection on reflections on nature, on the ordinary, like Kavanaugh saw beauty in, you know, the upturned stone and, you know, Clark and his evocative images of, you know, the cattle hid, hid in their breathing. You know, it's, it's, and the blackbird, you know, turning up the silver grasses. And, and then you move into more sort of contemporary people like Mary Oliver. And, you know, they've, they can say that which we can't, but they can say it in like three words, mm-hmm. you know, and suddenly we're, we're brought to a place of, deeper understanding of of nature and um that's just uh, that is an art and if i was ever to aspire to anything it would be that you could convey um you know the the different values and the different sentiments and the different um yeah the different aspects of nature through your writing and and then people connect because we love words we love words um, we love pictures, so that brings you into the visual arts. So I'm very much a proponent of bringing the arts and nature together. I think it is a really powerful place. And, you know, you can go on a walk or then you can look at a painting or hear a piece of music or hear a song. And that really strikes a chord with the human psyche. Mm-hmm. And, and that sort of associating that wonderful memory with that nature. And, you know, it's, I think that's a really good platform to Mm. communicate the values of nature rather than a stale report or paper or, you know, that's really important as well. And I write those things all the time. (laughs) So I try and mix it up. Yeah. I think if successful art communicates a feeling, you know, even if you're looking Mm. at a picture or reading a book if the artist can actually convey that feeling, that's the real genius of it. I think that's so powerful. Um, And if you had a magic wand and you could do one thing or more, because people want to do more than one, (laughs) um, Mm. to do to help the planet today, what would you do? Yeah, if I had a magic wand that worked, Mary, I think I would uh, get rid of plastic and pesticides. Um, and I would replace them because you need, you need replacements. You can't just say, oh, well, just get rid of them. Uh, you just replace them with naturally created materials. And I think that would make a huge difference. And not just that we had replaced them, but people knew why we didn't need these things or why we didn't use them because they're so negative on, on the nature around us and, you know, all the microplastics and all these things um so yeah if i had a magic wand that worked but given that i don't have a magic wand uh (laughs) i think i think that this pandemic actually you know that we're in is um can be the catalyst or the magic wand for change and you know even if it's to say leave people you know, let them work at home, 
a couple of days a week. Don't throw them into long traffic streams. Let them be at home with their families. Let them, you know, hear the birds song in the morning when they're having their tea outside in the garden. And, you know, so I think that might be the catalyst. And so, yeah, I, I think I'll go with the, you know, the this pandemic catalyst um, to help help us make some changes in our lives. Now that's, yeah, that's brilliant. And I'd love it if we could do your two wishes as well. Hopefully they'll be done oh, yeah. on stage. I think the COVID lockdown has made everybody think we've learned some lessons. So I know you have to get on, Catherine, and your yes. children and work and everything. So thank you so much for talking to us. It was really so interesting. I'm sure people are going to love to hear about everything you've been doing. And thank you very much for all your work. Well, thank you, Mary, and great work on your podcast. And yeah, obviously, I'll just keep trucking away. And um, there's going to be a lot of debate in the future about natural capital accounting. And you'll get people saying, that's terrible. How can you do that to nature? How can you squeeze it into boxes? And I'd say, well, yeah, I agree with you. And then, you know, so we have to have that conversation. But for sure, we have to have the conversation. You can't just pretend, you know, that there isn't a crisis. So um, I look forward to engaging with people on that. Thank you. Bye, Mary. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Nature Magic podcast. Please feel free to get in touch for any reason whatsoever. We would love to hear suggestions as to who you would like to hear speaking on the podcast or any other questions. I will put my email in the show notes. Please visit the Borough Nature Sanctuary website at www.bns.ie and follow us on Facebook and Instagram to find out all about us. We welcome contributions towards our conservation projects and animal adoptions. Links to these can be found on the website shop page. And we also sell some beautiful locally sourced Irish gifts, such as wild Atlantic seaweed baths, avoca rugs, and Irish fairy tales. We have gift cards for entrance when we are open again. All support is greatly appreciated. We will be back next Monday. Stay safe.